defining success, you can't just be so short-minded to look at the end of the day, the scoreboard. Um, if I do not have a relationship with my kids 5, 10, 20 years down the road, I failed them. I, at the end of the day, I want to have one hell of a funeral. Because <laughs> I want all my boys to know that I got their backs uh, from the time they get here to the time I'm dead. To me, that has been the biggest thrill in my career, is to, to have a locker room that's excited about being successful. And, and to me, that carries you. That sustains you. Hearing that kind of enthusiasm is a mark or at least a, a, a part of the process of being successful. The night stalkers, they never quit. You know, their whole, their whole model is they serve with memory and pride for those who've gone before them. Yeah. And they love to fight and they fight to win and they'd rather die than quit. You know, and that's how all these guys, that's how they, you know, that's how they are. That's how they go about their day-to-day -day business. They don't quit. And that's what, that's what I love about him. And as a coach, if you can have a team that doesn't quit and they stick together, you can go beat anybody and that's you it. can accomplish some great things. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. This is your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Here we are, coaches. We're sitting directly on top of episode 99, staring directly at triple digits next week. Episode 100 out there looming, but... Not before we open up this week's show with the release on September 11th and what that means to us as Americans, we have guests on deck that are absolutely perfect for this platform. But before that, subscribe, review, and share always with the reminders, your phone, your computer, your tablet. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Leave us a review on there. Five-star ratings are always great to see and share this show as well. Keep spreading the word and reaching more baseball folks with this podcast. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Now, if you're on social media, you might have seen these beautiful baby blues coming at you as we released our Spread the Word Challenge last week. And we'd love to see you take part in our hashtag YABCA movement and shoot your own video and tweet about what the ABCA has meant to you over the course of your career. So looking to doing that. Membership for this year, 2018-19 calendar year, is open. Make time to join the association today. Plus, find a way to get registered for our upcoming ABCA convention in Dallas, Texas this January. It's the world's largest gathering of baseball coaches, guys. It's four days of baseball heaven, and we're setting up shop in the Lone Star State January 3rd through the 6th. It's the world's largest baseball trade show. It's divisional meetings across every division of amateur baseball, hot stoves, networking opportunities. All of it is waiting for us there in Dallas. So you need to either find a way to get to Dallas and be with us or commit to not using social media for that week. And I'll tell you why. If you're sitting at home, it's going to make you shed tears that you did not figure out a way to get to Dallas. You're going to see all the tremendous things we've added to our convention and the great times being had by those coaches in attendance. So just figure out a way to get there, guys. Come join us in Dallas. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly at CoachSheets3 on Twitter or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, -E -E at ABCA.org. 
A lot of great tweets that came out this past week, guys. Keep those coming. Plus the emails that let us know how these shows are helping all of you grow as coaches, as leaders, as people. And the coaches reaching out for advice, guys, we love to hear that. So never feel like you need to hesitate to connect with us. This is what serving our coaches looks like here in the national office, and we're honored to do so. So we look forward to hearing from each of you real soon. Also very proud to send a shout out to our great friends over at AstroTurf, the leaders in the clubhouse for the turf industry. And we cannot thank AstroTurf enough for jumping on board and being part of these episodes. Our hope is that if you're thinking about making some changes at your facility, you think about AstroTurf, you reach out and connect with those folks to find out how the turf solution works at your field. Reach out to Doug White on the West Coast. Aaron Klotz is your representative here on the East Coast. They're your contacts that help you get the ball rolling to see how this solution will work at your field. If you want to find more information on what these folks are doing for these facilities, head over to their website, astroturf.com. That's astroturf.com. And find out why AstroTurf has been ahead of the curve for over 50 years. Now, full transparency here, this episode and these guests have been on my radar screen since late January. When you start mapping out the release dates throughout the calendar year, this year, 2018, my eyes lit up when I saw that episode 99 was going to land directly on September 11th. So instantly, my thoughts shifted to the perfect opportunity to pull back the curtain on the college baseball programs that are affiliated with our United States Armed Forces on a day and a week that besides the 4th of July, it could be the most patriotic day and week in our calendar year. So we wanted to welcome in Mike Kaslowski from the Air Force Academy, Jim Foster from Army West Point, and also Paul Kostakopoulos from the Naval Academy, all to our podcast to open up a terrific dialogue into the experience of coaching at one of the very best universities in the country and what they represent to this country. We explore their day-to-day activities, how coaching inside these programs has not only grown them as coaches and as leaders, but how it has completely changed how they see the big picture, how they see development, and how they define the word success. It means something much, much bigger than baseball stats and wins to these guys and their players. And again, what a great opportunity to open up all of our eyes to these programs, help all of us see the big picture of what truly matters at the end of the day, at the end of our careers, at the end of our lives. Oh yeah, we're bringing it on this week's show. We're going to welcome in Mike Kozlowski from Air Force, Jim Foster from Army West Point, and Paul Kostakopoulos from Navy. These three men join our show on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. What a special opportunity we have today to connect with three head coaches that are coaches of programs inside our armed forces on September 11th. What an awesome opportunity to do this. And I'm excited to welcome in these three guys to our show and have a great discussion as we open up uh, a lot inside this content today to hopefully gain some perspective, hopefully to take this back to your program and help grow your kids. So here we're going to start. We're going to welcome in our first coach, the head coach at Air Force Academy, Mike Kozlowski. Kaz, thanks for jumping on the call with us. I appreciate it, Sheets. Thanks, uh, sir, for having all of us and look forward to the opportunity for this podcast for the next hour. Yes, sir. Also want to welcome in the head coach at Army West Point, Jim Foster. Jim, thanks for jumping on with us. 
Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you. And last but certainly not least, the head coach at the Naval Academy, Paul Costacopoulos. Costi, thanks for jumping on with us, my man. Thank you, Jeremy. Really appreciate the opportunity. What an awesome opportunity. And I asked before we hit the record button, is this the first time that you guys have all been on the same call? And the answer was yes. So we're breaking ground here with the ABCA podcast, episode 99. And what, again, a perfect opportunity as we release this on September 11th to really open up a great discussion. But let's start here. Again, when we try to lay the groundwork for our shows or letting you guys relay to our coaches just some some basic platform questions in terms of number one being your ABCA experience, being an ABCA podcast. We're excited to have all you guys inside our fraternity of coaches around the world. Uh, but Kaz, if you could, I'm gonna open this up to you. Talk through the ABCA experience over the years, going to conventions, being part of what we do, and and maybe how you've grown as a coach being part of the ABCA. Well, shoot, I'm probably a little bit different than most coaches since uh, my background is I'm a military guy. That's and I right. Fly jet- living and that was kind of my background my dad's been a high school coach for 58 years mm. and with the opportunity that the abca has given us has given me the ability to branch out reach out understand coaching a little better and that perspective um my job was flying 300 million dollar jets all over the world <laughs> and uh, making sure our kids were ready to go fight wars and now the I had to turn it down a little bit to understand the baseball perspective of it mm-hmm. and be able to correlate from the baseball perspective and putting that uh, into play when we're talking baseball on the field of friendly strife and having a true understanding what these kids are going to go through um, between the white lines and then more importantly when they do graduate from here and go fight for our country. But I can't thank the, the ultimate support from all the different coaches around the world and around our country that has um, provided me great guidance and insight in regards to the coaching side and not the uh, war fighting side. That's it. Jim, same question, man. Talk about your ABCA experience over the years coming to conventions and, and how does being part of this, how's that really affected you as a coach? Well, I remember my first couple of years when I got out of pro ball and I started getting into college coaching. I, I actually played for Costi in college. So oh, nice. um, when I when I graduated from Providence College, I got a chance to play for a little while. So I was in the minor leagues for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had a lot of great coaches and, and a lot of people I learned from. And, you know, I felt like when I graduated college, I knew something about baseball. Then I got the pro ball and I realized I didn't know nothing. And, you know, then I, you know, it humbled me. And, you know, after 10 years in the minor year, 10 years in the minor leagues, um, you know, I, I, you meet guys, it's like the military. There's a lot of movement, you know, guys come and go and you you meet great guys and then you get traded or released and, and you lose contact with them. So the ABC convention for me has always been a place to reconnect with those guys. You know, I'll meet up with them. You know, we might be walking around the hallways and see them, you know, so that's been great. I'm not a big social media guy, so, you know, <laughs> Facebook and all that isn't isn't really what what I do. But every year when I go back there, I bump into a couple guys I played with that are coaching now. They have kids, and we, we talk about how their kids are doing. And uh, so for me, um, you know, that's probably the most pleasurable part of it. And then mm-hmm. getting to know some of the other coaches around the country, you know, just slowing down for a couple of days and being able to relax and, and just get to know them a little bit better. And, and then, you know, when I did get into coaching, I didn't, you know, I was a catcher and a hitter and, you know, I transitioned over to a pitching coach and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I remember, I remember, uh, Dave Turgeon, who I played with telling me, Jimmy, you could be a pitching coach. And I, I said, 
you know, I said, nah, there's no way, you know, I, I've had enough of pitchers. Sure. You know, I've, I've caught enough of them over the years and <laughs> I'm going to be a hitting coach. He goes, no, you should go to the convention and just listen to some of the guys and write down everything that you think, you know, and then just kind of go from there. And then, um, you know, so I did that. I started listening to talks. I remember John Savage and Butch Thompson and Charlie sure. Green, who I played with and Mike Roberts, who, you know, talked about base running. Costi knows I, I wasn't a fast guy, but I love coaching base <laughs> yeah. running. And uh, every slow guy you know, in the I, country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I really enjoyed listening to those guys, and then, you know, learning the different styles, and um, you know, it, it's been a big, um, big part of uh, my coaching career since since I got into it. And um, That's awesome. You know, I, I think I've been every year except one. So uh, look forward to this year. Heck yeah, that's that's outstanding. Thanks for opening that up. And Costi, last I'll, I'll let you tee this up. And I and I want to tell you, I didn't get enough credit for crushing the name Costacopolis. Like I, I didn't get enough. I didn't get like nobody popped champagne. I didn't feel the energy from the other side of the line. That's no big deal. So we're gonna go Costi for I, uh, the rest of the way. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, Open that up. You know my experience. My experience at the ABCA has been, um, you know, one you know over many many years, um, and. Uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, for the things that, that, that Mike and Jimmy had said for, for sure, um, you know, part of the, part of his camaraderie, um, you know, part of it is, is, is sharing experiences, um, you know, uh, not only across the country, but, you know, worldwide and having that opportunity to, to, uh, congregate in one place. But one of the things that I really took away, especially as a younger coach is, uh, you know, I always enjoyed going to hear coaches talk. And, and even if I was just a little on the right track, uh, I felt, I felt better about myself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and listening to them. And I was like, geez, you know, that's something that, you know, I, th- I think that we do. I think that we're on the right track with it. It was, it, again, as a younger coach, it was certainly a kind of a, a, a little bit of a self-confidence thing um, mm-hmm. to be able to hear people um, and, and realize that you weren't so far off the reservation with what, yeah. what you were doing. I think the other thing is that, you know, hearing how other people do things, you know, um, hearing how they uh, uh, deliver um, maybe the same thing. Let's face it, baseball has, uh, it's a pretty traditional game. Mm-hmm. You know, it hasn't changed dramatically over years, but, you know, how you uh, how you present it, how you teach it, how you coach it um, uh, is presented differently. And I, and I always found that very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can, you, you also can see coaching styles uh, and, and, and I love different coaching styles that, that you hear because they, if you're consistent with them, they all, you know, they all have a, a wild potential to work. And, mm-hmm. and so it's not just one style fits all. And I always thought that was refreshing. It just didn't have to be one type of guy or one, one philosophy, you know, to be successful in baseball. And that was always something that has shined through at the, at the convention. And, you know, you get the guys that, you know, coach by feel, um, you get the guys that coach by analytics and numbers, you get a little bit of the combination of both. And I just, I really, I, I really think that that, that, that keeps you um, going back. That, that, that there's not one way to do this thing. This isn't a math project. You know, you you, you can sure. do a lot of different um, styles and be and be successful. And that's that's kind of what you know what it's been for me um, a little bit in the beginning of my career, and certainly now. You know, as 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 I get as I get along in the career, you know, what I take away from it. Oh, it was outstanding way to kick off our first question, gentlemen. So let's keep rolling this downhill. And Jim, I want you to kick this one off. When we're talking about your career in baseball, take us through those stops again. And I think maybe the key to this question is what was the major lesson 
that you've learned in coaching? Like every stop that you've been, every place that you've stepped step foot on, what was maybe the major lesson that d- jumped off to you and went, wow, I really needed to learn that, and boy, did I learn it. What would you offer, Jim? I would say when I get drafted, um, I was very fortunate. My first coach was Andy Etchebarren, who was a catcher with the Orioles, mm-hmm. and um, he really gave me a great foundation for for what was coming. You know, he took me under his wing and, and taught me every day, you know, an early work about a different part of the game. And, mm-hmm. and he was the last, him and Elrod Hendricks was, were the last catchers to, to uh, catch a four, four game, uh, four pitchers on the same staff winning 20, 20 games. Wow. So, you know, Andy was um, old school, you know, tough, but uh, fair. And, mm-hmm. and he really taught me how to be a pro you know, how to handle a pitching staff. And, you know, that's the biggest thing you got to learn when you, when you get in there is, is, um, you know, you're calling your own game. And, uh, at Providence college, we had Ray Jarvis who was uh, played with the Red Sox, who was on Costi's staff. And he taught us really well and learned a lot from him about how to attack hitters and mm-hmm. get guys out. And then, um, you know, when it, I got into pro ball, I was just fortunate to have a lot of catchers, ex catchers as managers. And, and they taught me a lot about the position. I had Andy my first year. I had Butch Weiniger my second year. I had um, Tim Blackwell. I had Mar Foley. I had Mike Socha. So there's a lot of different guys along the way. It's a good crew that, to learn from. Yeah, there was so much. Uh, you know, each guy offered different things to um, to get me better. But um, you know, with Andy, it was it was the fundamentals. You know, it was you're blocking everything. You know, um, every pitch you call has a purpose. You know, if this situation comes up, you know, you have to do it this certain way. And, um, you know, he, he just taught me how to be a pro, um, you know, how to play every day. You know, I remember him telling me a story about him playing, you know, 100, I think it was something like 40 spring training games. And then he played 142 games in the minors. And then he caught, you know, some more in the postseason because uh, they made the playoffs that year. And I think he had one off day. You know, so he was wow. really into doing it every single day. And, um, you know, now you see catchers, you know, they have a double header and they got to, you know, they can't catch a double header. So sure. it's changed a lot since then. But, um, you know, I think the mental piece of, of catching, he taught me the most about, you know, so that was in Bluefield, West Virginia, my first year. And then, you know, I went to Albany, Georgia, my second year had Butch and, and Butch was just a gentleman, you know, he's, he was rookie of the year for the, um, for the Yankees, I believe. And, um, you know, he was just a great guy, you know, and he, and he, he teach me how to throw the ball a little bit better. And, you know, um, he'd be there. He's kind of like a, a father figure to you. You know, he never got angry. He was just slow and, you know, steady, the same guy every day. And he, mm-hmm. he'd get your work in and, uh, he's just so consistent. So he taught me a lot about just being, uh, you know, being yourself and being consistent and, and um, you know, what it's going to take to, to get to the next level. And then sure. the next year in Frederick, I had a coach named Michael Berry, who was really, really tough. I, I still have nightmares about him. <laughs> you know, he, he would meet me on the top step every half inning and <laughs> tell me what I did wrong. And, you know, I should have done this and I should have done that, but I got just as much from him as I did the other guys. Yeah. You know, he, he taught me a lot that summer. You know, I can still remember, you know, I don't call change-ups after breaking balls anymore because he yelled at me so many times about it. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, they speeding guys back for and, life. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember driving the ballpark thinking, you know, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this guy is, uh, you know, every single day he's on me, but he's making me better. And, you know, my dad raised me that way and Costi coached us hard and uh, I liked it. You know, I, I figured uh, as long as I'm getting better, as long as I'm, you know, wanting to uh, play in the big leagues, I need to learn this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I was appreciative to him. And then uh, I went back to Frederick again. And, um, you know, I think it took it took about 16 home runs and 65 ribbies at the All-Star break to get me out of that league. <laughs> you know, it took took a while to get out of that league. <laughs> sure. um, so, you know, you're putting up numbers and, and you're trying to, trying to uh, advance but you you realize it's it it's not just about you it's a business and you just got to do your job every day so yep. you know I was an all-star that year the year before all-star that year and I'm in the same league so as a young player you're getting frustrated and you're you're wondering why you're not moving and you want to go but you got to realize that you know there's a, there's a lot of good players ahead of you mm-hmm. and just focus on what you're doing and and getting better and uh the rest will take care of itself so that was the first time i really um you know ha- had to wrap my arms around that you know it's mm-hmm. not just about me it's about the organization it's about you know everybody's development not just mine so it taught me um you know to be humble and just be thankful for being in the game and and having these um these opportunities you know one thing costi did for for me you know he wrote my name in the lineup every day and i think if a coach writes his name your name in the lineup you know that's the biggest compliment he can give you sure you know he he writes your name in the lineup and lets you go play and uh you know you got got some opportunity there so yeah. I, mean, I was in the minors for 10 years so <laughs> this could take a little while but you know i won't go through every single stop but you know as i went through um you know i got traded i got released you know i i you know, I was told I was getting called up to the big leagues. It didn't happen. So every single high and low you could go through as a player, you know, you go through mm-hmm. in the, that 10-year span, and um, you learn a lot from it. You know, I always pull from experience I had in, in pro ball and, and uh, try and give it to these guys. And I think the best thing of what we do is what we do on the field carries over to what they're wanting to do in life and, and all those life lessons that they – that they gather from us, um, you know, they can really apply later on. So that's it. I'm very fortunate to have played for that long. That's outstanding. Costi, same question, man. We're talking about your career and in coaching the game, what each stop along the way, what really jumped off to you? What, when you look back, you go, man, I just needed to learn that at that moment. What would you offer? You know, I, I, if, if, you know, I had a chance to obviously read the questions before you, you know, we, uh, got in. I really thought about that. I thought that was a, you know, um, pretty, pretty important thing. And I had never really reflected on it, but I, you know, one thing that I, I learned immediately at Providence College is, um, and it, and it sounds kind of a, uh, uh, glib, uh, comment, but you, you really got to recruit and get players. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, uh, um, completely, um, being a, you know, I was 24 years old when I got the job at Providence College and, uh, you know, realizing, you know, that, you know, we're in the Big East, and there were some good, you know, there was St. John's, Seton Hall, those sure. teams were, were really strong teams at the time. And, you know, really recognizing right away that you got to get out and, and, and recruit players and, and get good players. And, and, and that was such a huge part of the process. And, you know, going back, you know, a number of years, you know, 
that that it was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, you know, people weren't quite as aggressive recruiting. They weren't weren't really over the top with the way it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, people wouldn't recognize the landscape. So, so I felt like that was a window and a crack that we could get through. And I always tell this story jokingly um, that uh, you know I was pretty lucky as a first year, 24 year old coach that. Um, I, you know, and I forget exactly what order, but Lou Maloney was in the first recruiting class, pretty good player, mm-hmm. you know, played for the uh, Boston Red Sox. Uh, Jimmy Foster was in that class and um, played, you know, 10 years and, you know, in, in high, high level baseball. Um, and I was, you know, not many people can, you know, grab that out of their back pocket and, and, <laughs> and have that be sure. their first two kids that committed to your school. So, um, so. But I really realized that and how important that was. I think at the University of Maine, you know, I I, I uh, kind of reflected on that. And, 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 you know, it's just toughness. You know, I, I had so much respect for those players that played at the University of Maine, uh, you know, for me and, and at the university. Cause they're just tough kids. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. my last year there, we uh, we played, I don't remember how many, but it was probably close to 60 games because we played multiple postseasons. And, and I think we played 12 home games. Um, uh, I'm not sure we practiced five times on the field, um, that spring, you know, it was one of, you know, it's probably, and, and I always had such great respect for, for those players, but, but I also took away that, you know what, you better be pretty tough to play this game. You got to be mentally tough. You got to be physically tough and you got to be emotionally tough. And, and, um, really made that, I think, or hopefully part of, you know, what I've, have done in the future is that recognizing how important that is in, 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 in a team and, and players. And I think we always realize that, but to witness that over nine years at Maine was really something that impacted me, mm-hmm. you know, certainly at Navy, um, uh, I, I just, uh, really, uh, impressed with the, the discipline of our players, the discipline of mm-hmm. our players to be able to repeat things and come back and repeat them again. And, um, quite frankly, play for something that is more important than you. Um, sure. uh, there, there's very limited, you know, and, and it's probably, I think Jim and Mike would agree with me, it's very limited possibilities to go play professionally, although all our programs have had those exceptions, if you will, mm-hmm. to play professionally, but they play for Navy. And I think, and, and just like they play for Air Force, just like they play for Army West Point, And that's what they're going to do. Um, and that's going to be their... Their, their experience in playing baseball, 99% of them, that's going to be it for them. That's it. Um, and then they're going to go on and, and serve. So um, I just think that discipline and, and, and playing for something is way more important uh, down, the, down the road than you, I think, is impressive. So that's kind of been my three stops. Uh, each very uh, uh, significant. I've liked all three of them. I've enjoyed all three of them, you know, for, for probably different reasons different reasons sure now Kaz this is going to be a little different twist again you're the program's first military coach since 88 and being the head baseball coach at Air Force and being uh someone that's came from those ranks a graduate you could probably just go segment inside this opportunity to lead this program what have been the major lessons that you've learned along the way like when first getting going and getting your feet wet in this in this space but then what are the lessons that keep coming out of of being the head coach at Air Force well, Sheets, you know, the major lessons, um, you know, if I first have to, I'd be remiss not to 
mentioned my dad as my high school baseball coach and growing up under him and under his tutelage of being a coach and then coming out here and having the opportunity to play under coach Palmineri now to LSU. That's right. I asked for two better role models and mentors to develop me and not only as a baseball player, but more importantly, as a man, um, what I took away from my dad coaching high school was the Bobby Knight style. Then I come play for Paul and Paul is all about the not Bobby Knight. enthusiasm. <laughs> And yeah, and it was always about the team first. And yes. Paul, what a tremendous leader for me to be able to uh, learn from. And that's who mm-hmm. I've developed my leadership style and my coaching style has been under Paul. Because without Paul, without Paul's tutelage and guidance, when I was a this immature eighteen-year-old kid to twenty-two, I don't think I would have made it through the Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. And taking those lessons I learned from Paul and be able to go off the pilot training and, and be able to fly jets, then come back to coach and then go back and fly jets and come back and coach again. Uh, you know, I, I owe everything to coach Maneri and that's, he'll always be my role model. He'll always be my mentor. Um, so everything, the way I coach now, yes, I take a lot from my dad, uh, but I also take a lot from Paul. Um, it's just a unique experience, especially being able to come back here and understanding what these kids are going to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came, once again, I came here to be a baseball player. Four years later, I'm walking across the stage, shaking George Bush's hand, throwing my hat in the air in front of 20,000 people, Thunderbird jets ripping overhead, and now what? Well, guess what? I'm going to go fly jets. You know, that's the next step in this journey. And to be able to go fly jets, and yes, I've been in combat. Yes, I've been in war, done some cool things. Um, and now looking at what these young men are going to do at all three academies, I am just pumped that the kids that I get to be around and same with and Jim and Costi, all these kids have raised their right hand and said they're willing to die for you and I. Yep. So there's a lot bigger importance placed upon the development of these young men as, as, care, as leaders of character for our country and just stay, stating, let's go win a baseball game today and let's develop them as a baseball player. We're not developing these kids as baseball players. We're developing these kids into war fighters. They're going to go serve and fight wars for us. So it's not about the, the four years that we have our hands on these young men. It's about the 10 years. It's about the 20 years after that our responsibility as coaches here is not just for 35 kids on our roster. It's for 4,000 young men and women at each one of these academies that we're providing that being a role model and a mentor to these kids are going to go fight for you and I. And I currently have some skin in the game. Uh, My daughter is a freshman at the Air Force Academy. Mm -hmm. And on June 29th, my daughter put her hand up in the air. And she stated she, she would die for you and I. So this is a lot bigger than just hey come to the, come to the come to West Point come to Navy come to Air Force come play baseball it's a lot bigger sure. and we have higher expectations for these kids and I have to hold myself uh, morally and ethically in the highest regard to make sure I'm doing things right for these kids because I'm not doing it right you know how am I truly going to make a difference for these young men and women they're going to go make a difference for you and I so uh, when it gets back to it. You know, I can't thank my dad enough. The, the upbringing that I had with my family, Paul Maneri, his guidance um, to, to give me this honor and this privilege to be coaching at the greatest school in the world. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that even answered your question in regards to my career, but you know what? nobody gives a crap about my career. <laughs> you answered it perfectly. Now, uh, again, what what we all know the differences. If you know Coach Maneri, you know his style, you know his personality, and you obviously know the Bobby Knight. You can see the differences in the two, uh, but certainly picking those up. And, and all three of you guys laying out exactly – um, just the key elements that I think make up a coach's journey that make up our journey as people in terms of really uh, being well-rounded and seeing different aspects of humanity. Now let's open this up because we're talking about releasing this on September 11th and 
that is one date that certainly uh, this generation and the generation before us, we, we really know that date very significantly. And uh, we can all lay out exactly where we were in those moments. I was in college at Kentucky Wesleyan. I watched the entire thing break down in my one of my first classes on, on a Tuesday morning and spent the rest of the day watching TV glued to it. And it was one of those moments that you've never felt more patriotic. There's very few of those where, where you feel more patriotic and more uh, go USA than that moment. And so that's a great way for us to ask you guys to see where you were on those days. And Kosti, I want you to kick that one off. If you can go back to that day, where were you? Can you detail what you were doing? What were your feelings during those during those times? You know, like you said, Jeremy, you can kind of, you know, that is always going to be a vivid snapshot mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in our, our generation, so to speak. Um, and I remember sitting at, at my desk at the University of Maine, um, talking to a colleague from Notre Dame at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, he had kind of matter of factly said, you know, there's a, a plane just ran into the World Trade Center. And I, in my mind, I calculated it as an accident. Sure. How, how happened but an accident and um you know we stayed on the phone for maybe a couple more minutes and then you know i put the tv on in the office and then it kind of was starting to unravel that that you know what what was actually happening and and then just the the um the real uh just sheer kind of uh fear because it it was one uh, it was the World Trade Center, and then it was in Pennsylvania, and then it was, you know, there was there was different things, and you weren't sure when it was going to stop. Yep. And uh, there was there was that that emotion of of, of, of of you know high anxiety into what was going on in the in, in the confusion. And I think uh, um, I, I remember on campus, I, I don't even think even um, you know the students, the faculty, I don't think everyone really had a grasp and and. and, and didn't really understand what had just happened, and and I think it took a, took a while to 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 process that, mm-hmm. and and how did and how our world changed um, that day, and and how different um, things are presented now, and and how how we how we recognize that day that our armed forces, our our people in uniform, our our military, our Mike Kazlowski's are are mm-hmm. out there, and. Uh, um, they're there for a reason and, and they're there to protect us and preserve what we have. Um, exactly. and, uh, to me, that was the enlightening moment of a standing army, so to speak, of a, of a, of a military that is so proud that, you know, this was not going to, uh, to derail us mm-hmm. in, in, in that sense. And, and I think that's kind of what shined through for me you know, on, on that day, so many other emotions for sure, but those, those would be, that came to my forefront, you know, kind of right away. That's it. This was a question that before asking, I knew I'd have goosebumps the entire time. And, and Kasi, you just gave me my first set. Uh, Kaz, same question, man. Again, your experience is going to be much different than the rest of us on the call. Uh, but go back to September 11th. Uh, what did your day look like? What were your feelings at that moment? What'd you get into? Well, I was in, I was back at the Air Force Academy, and I was teaching cadets how to fly gliders and Cessnas. And I was just leaving my house, and my wife ran out and said, a plane hit the World Trade Center. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, some Cessna crazy kid, you know, flew into the Trade Center, not a big deal. Went in the house, watched the video, and saw number two happen. And I said, oh, gosh. Yep. It's just changed our way of life. 
and I hustled my butt as fast as I could to get down to the Air Force Academy. And uh, at that point, they've already raised our threat cons at the academy, trying to get on on an, on base. It was difficult at that point, trying to figure out why you're coming on base. You sure. need to leave. So got here, uh, got to the academy. At that point, they did a recall. They got all of us in the room and told us what's going on. Uh, they released at that released us at that point. I just prior to that, I was out in Charleston, South Carolina, flying big C-17 cargo airplanes and flying all over the world. And been in Bosnia, been in Sarajevo, and done some different NATO things. And then returned home that day. And my first phone call, I called back to my old unit in Charleston and said, "I want to be in the fight." Because one thing, when you when you go through the cap. When you're in the military, you train the way you're going to fight. And this is one thing that this, this was hitting home big time, of course. And uh, I wanted to get back in the fight, and I didn't want to be at the Air Force Academy flying gliders and teaching kids how to fly little Cessna. You know, this was unacceptable in my eyes because, um, you know, on the friendly field of strife again, you know, you, you learn the values and those lessons of what you want to do later and this was my opportunity not to wear this is outside of the baseball uniform man this is wearing our nation's uniform to go serve and protect and fight for those that have given so much so um, at that point you knew things were going to change I was once again here uh, for the next two and a half years um, I got to teach kids how to fly I got to teach graduates that were going to go fight the fight um, for you know the global war on terror Um, I got to go back and Oh, four to get back in my flying unit back in Charleston. And, you know, this was my time to get back in the fight. And so from Oh, four to Oh, six, Oh, seven, I got to be back in the fight, which was awesome. Um, because of all those that have worn our nation's uniform to serve and protect. And, you know, we don't want this ever to happen again on our home soil. Um, I just got a report about a month ago. I have a young man that was looked at being drafted by the Cardinals. And the Cardinals called and said, we want to select you like the 28th round. He said, don't select me. He goes, I came to the academy to serve my country, fly jets, and kill bad guys. And about a month ago, I got a report from him saying I took somebody out. I was pretty pumped up, to tell you the truth, because there's a lot of bad people out there. And we're fighting the fight every day. You know, the the terrorists are out there, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS, ISIL. Everyone's out there trying to get us. And we have to be on the forefront. We have to be um, be the ones that are always going to answer that bell when the nation calls to serve and protect and provide that security blanket to allow everyone to sleep well each night. And I'm just proud of all the kids at all the academies. I'm proud of all those that wear our nation's uniform, that half percent that says, you know what, you can count on me. Hmm. And the kids that come to these schools, they're not kids that are just here to be a baseball player, to wear that baseball uniform. Once again, it's about wearing our nation's uniform to serve and protect. They're the carnivores of our country. You know, they're the hammer, and most importantly, they're the sheepdog. And they're going to protect the sheep when the wolves come a-calling. So, yeah, this has been, that day was detrimental. And that day was influential for so many. And so many of these young men and women that took, that answered the nation's call after and said, you know what, you can count on me, the Pat Tillmans that are out there, Mm -hmm. the Stephen Reichs that are out there. That's what's cool. (laughs) And that's what's important. And that's why our nation always has to be number one. Yes, you know, on the baseball field, we're always striving for victory. But at the end of the day, for us, these three schools, along with the Coasties and the Merchant Marine, if we're not so, teaching these young men to be winners, um, we can never afford to be number two. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about life. So, you know, Costi and Jim and I, our job is so much bigger. Holy crap. I mean, yeah. great, 
you know what, we're playing baseball games, but more importantly, we want to make sure that these kids are going to go to defend the rights and freedoms of you and I. So That's it. you're going to get me pretty fired up. I'm you not going to lie to you. Well, we're two for two so far with Goosebumps. So, uh, Foster, I need you to come through on this one now. <laughs> uh, go, Jim, go back to September 11th for you, man. I'll open that up in terms of where you were, how it all went down, and your feelings uh, at that moment. Well, it's tough to follow. Just uh, to, sure. You know, after hearing Costi and especially Kaz speak about it, you know, because because he's been through it. I mean, he's the real deal. Yeah. You know, he's he's someone who's been there and done that. And to hear him say, you know, it was unacceptable for him to, you know, he wanted to do something. You know, I everyone felt that way. You know, I remember I was just out of pro ball, and, um, you know, I was, I was pretty down at the time. You know, it's been your life up to that point. And, uh, you know, a lot of my buddies were still playing you know, watching TV, they're on TV, they're in the big leagues. And, you know, when you get done playing, you, you, you're down in the dumps and everyone has a story. I mean, nobody wins in this game unless you make the hall of fame, you know, the game's yeah. going to win, the yeah. game's going to beat you. So, you know, my time was done. I think Pawtucket called me. They wanted me to come in for a try, a tryout with um, Doug Marabelli and Marcus Jensen. And I just remember, um, thinking, you know, I'm done. That's it. You know, the window's closing. I got a little kid and I got to take care of, of, uh, her and, um, you know, start building, building a life. So, um, you know, I hadn't made any money up to that point at all. Um, so, you know, for a brief time there, I was thinking, well, we'll get into the, the business world a little bit. And I had a friend of mine who, um, gave me a job in Providence and, um, I was miserable sitting at a desk every day, you know, and that's where I was September 11th. I was, I was at work and, um, you know, it just hit me that, uh, life is short. You got to do what you want to do and you got to make a difference. You know, God gave me a lot of gifts. Um, you know, I was raised a certain way and, um, you know, what I was trying to do is I decided that day I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to do that anymore. And, um, I wanted to be a fireman. So I took the fireman test. Uh, two or three times, you know, just watching those guys. Sure. Um, you know, the first responders and, you know, I miss being part of a team and, and truly making a difference mm. in, uh, you know, the space you're in mm. and, and having it be meaningful, you know? So I think what you do with your gifts and abilities and, um, you know, making it better for others, that's your gift back to, you know, back to God. So yeah. you, um, you got to live by principles and beliefs, um, you know, and that's what I missed, you know, in pro ball, it's very selfish. Um, you're trying to make money. That's very selfish. You know, it just didn't feel right. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've always been about the team and about us and making others better. And, um, you know, if you don't wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing, don't do it. You know, that's what I learned from that, that day. And, um, you know, so I shut that down and I got into coaching at, and, uh, you know, I took the fireman test two or three times and, and, you know, didn't have a, a, a solid job yet, um, with one, any of the towns, but, um, you know, I ended up getting a volunteer job at Brown university and that's how I got into coaching. But, um, I remember getting a phone call from one of my teammates at Providence college and, and, you know, everyone has a story from that day, but he overslept. He would have been in the world trade center, but he overslept that day. Wow. He was a, he was a security guard in the um, World Trade Center, and Costi knows him, Earl Smith, and uh, he uh, he overslept, and he he uh, he would have been in there. So you know we were all telling stories, and yeah. you just realize that um, 
you know, how much that, that, uh, you know, that sacrificial leadership that the military guys have and, Mm -hmm. you know, how, what they do, um, and the principles they believe in, um, you know, being, being part of something bigger than yourself. That's, there's nothing that, uh, is is more rewarding than that. And, um, you know, to have these guys there for us each and every day is, is, um, a true blessing. That's That's for sure. Even 17 years later, I mean, there's so many, so many days that we can all recount birth of our kids and, and certain family moments or, or even uh, athletic moments. But, you know, September 11, 2001 is, is definitely one you remember every detail so vividly. So I appreciate you guys opening that up. I want to get into, again, being the head coaches of programs that are, are part of our armed forces. And that's such a unique dynamic. And you guys made reference to obviously the, the Coast Guard Academy and the Merchant Marines. And, uh, but to get three of you on the call and really open this up, Kaz, I want you to start this one off. In terms of, of being the head coach at Air Force, being the head coach of an Armed Forces program, how has that job changed you as a person? I mean, again, you're, you're, you eloquently laid out. It's much bigger than just the baseball. But in terms of being a baseball coach, how has that changed you as a person, a leader, uh, changed your perspective on things? How, how have you really grown inside this role? When I first uh, was an assistant coach under Paul, I was 23 to 26 years old, pulmonary. And I was still felt like a player and I, yeah. I was like, win at all costs, nothing else matters. Sure. We're going to go, go. Yeah. And, and I got to go to my flying assignment and I got to travel overseas. I got to go, do some really cool, interesting things. And then I, then I had children. <laughs> then I got to come back here again. And then I got to go back and fly jets again. Yeah. And then this last time when I was flying jets again, this is when all the, everything was happening and there's not many folks out there that have had to see what I've gotten to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not one of those coaches that are going to go out there and say for a baseball game that this is going to be war today. It's not. It's just a damn baseball game. I've been in war. You know, I've unfortunately, I've, I've, I've had been fired on. I've had missile warnings. I've had to do some things that most people have never gotten to do before. I've unfortunately had to bring our boys home with with cask and caskets with flags draped over them. So, you know, here that there will be never, never, never will someone take a darn, darn knee for the national anthem. Um, because of that, you know, when you bring them back to mom and dad and their spouses and their children in a box with a flag draped over it, it has purpose and it has a meaning. So coming back here, them taking over as the head coach, there's a lot of things that have meaning and purpose and, yeah. you know, trying to find winning and success at an Academy. It's not, we made it to the regional. Oh, we're going to Omaha. Yes, we all have that goal in mind. But the reality is that my mission and my vision statement is very clear. My job is to ensure every young man that I bring in here that they're going to become a great man, a great husband, and a great father. So if I can't do that, I failed. I failed the kid. I failed uh, the parents. And most importantly, I failed our country. Because the number one goal here is to make sure those kids are going to walk their darn butts across that stage. They're going to be ready to go lead our country. And I could speak on behalf of Paul and Jim because we're all in that same boat that we want to ensure the success of our nation. And it's not, once again, 35 kids. We're responsible for 4,000 young men and women that have raised their hand to say, I will do it for you, for you and I. That's right. So um, how has things changed for me personally? It's not just about the game. I'm care about these kids' lives. You know, yeah. my job is not to be a darn baseball coach. It's to be a life coach for these young men and women here to ensure that they're going to do well academically, athletically, militarily. Most importantly, their character growth. 
because no one no one cares what Paul's record was five years ago, Jim's record two years ago. I don't care about my own record. So there's a lot more to it in defining that success piece later down the road. That he's flying jets. He's uh, an anesthesiologist right now. He's done this. Those are the kids that when we talk about uh, our Hall of Fame, or our Wall of Fame here, it's any kid that's donned our nation's uniform and also a baseball uniform. That's more important to me than just a winning a Mountain West Conference baseball game. You know, the whole package of this person that at the end of the day, he's become a better man. And my job here is real simple. I take a boy and I make him into a man. I take a man and I make him into a warrior. So I, I was out, uh, I think we're going to get into recruiting a little bit, but yeah. I'm, I got a great story for you guys I would like to share, but uh, hopefully that answers that one. It's a hundred percent, you know, full transparency here. Uh, went out this spring, uh, last couple years in a row, and, and got to see the Air Force Navy game that, that's actually here in Kingston, which is about an hour and a half away. And uh, I, I go on the field to go uh, see the coaches and, and say hi. And Costa, you were you were knee deep in a lineup card. I wasn't going to interrupt you, but I'll, I'll get you this year. Um, but I was talking with Kaz, and I was just giving you know normal coach talk, just like I do when I go to other games. And you know how's everything going out that time, Kaz? You guys were were trying to get in, into the win column, and uh, had a few games there. You know, the offense wasn't clicking the way that it was going to end up clicking. And um, I gave you the normal coach coach talk. How you hanging in? And I'll never forget this moment. You grab me and go, hey, dude, it, it's much bigger than baseball. Like, I'm preparing these kids for for much bigger than winning a baseball game. That all will happen. And that was a real moment for me that went, wait a minute, okay, okay, this is a much different college baseball experience, which, again, lends us back to this show. So thanks for opening that up. Jim, same question. You're thinking about leading an armed forces program and being that head coach. That That's much different than coaching at some of the other schools around the country. How's that changed you and changed your perspective? What would you offer? I think a lot more about why I do what I do. You know, I, mm. before it was just baseball, 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 baseball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd give them that. And it is true. You give them as much baseball as you can. And I think they learn the lessons they need to learn a lot out there on the field. About sure. You know, I've had generals tell me that, you know, a guy like General Franks, General Fred Franks has played center field here. and He was one of the commanders in, in Desert Storm. And he said, he always talks about how baseball helped him, you know, in his leadership position. And you know, just being able to hear guys like that blows my mind. It's, it's amazing. You know, you couldn't have better role models to learn from. And, and um, you know, you get General Odierno who played here. He was a pitcher. And we have an astronaut, Shane Kimbrough, who um, played here. And the, the people, like Kaz said, the, what they go on to do and, and the people they become and, and – all their accomplishments is just, it's incredible. So, it, you know, it's definitely made me have a bigger picture mentality. Um, there you go. More aware of other things that's going on in the world that that's much bigger than baseball and more important. Um, you know, there, there's just so many special and unique experiences you get by, by being here and, and working with these guys. And um, you just try and do the best you can, like Cass said, to get them to help them grow up and be there for them and support them. And if they need something, take care of it. And um, for me, that's one of the toughest things here is, is trying to figure out schedules and be ahead of things and, and, you know, get enough time with them um, personally, you know, so you can sure. get to know them. It's yeah. a very fast paced environment and uh, it's a highly competitive environment. So I think just getting enough time w- with a player to, to really get to know them and, and slow down and, find out about them and um you know because we want to go 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 
um, <laughs> that that's really hard to do um, sometimes. So makes sense. anyway, it just, it just, um, you know, it humbles you really just being here every day. And, that's right. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, um, that sacrificial leadership, you know, that, that Steve Reich had, who is one of our, you know, role models here who, um, you know, we'll talk more about him later, but you know, that it just doesn't get any more. I walked in the clubhouse the other day and they were all, all watching a movie about Steve Reich, you know, they wow. call it the army baseball family. And, um, um, you know, Steve was someone I went to spring training with, with the Orioles. I had the pleasure of meeting in 1995 and, uh, he was the head of everybody. You know, he was, he was the first and every, he won every race. You just looked at him and he was better. You know, he was, he just had his stuff together and, um, you know, he, he really stood out with the way he carried himself and type of person he was. So cool. he had everybody's respect in, in camp. And, um, coach Maneri said he's, he's one of the, you know, better pitchers he's ever seen. You know, when, when I guess he struck out 17 or 18 against the air force one time down in, tournament they used to play in down in Tennessee so yeah. Steve's kind of our role model you know I, I remember him you know and I kind of go by that and and you know see how much these guys respect them and you know the the night stalkers they never quit you know their whole their whole model is um you know they serve with memory and pride for those who've gone before before them yeah. And they love to fight and they fight to win and they'd rather die than quit. You know, and that's how all these guys, that's how they, you know, that's how they are. That's how they go about their day-to-day business. You know, they, they don't quit. And that's what, that's what I love about them. They're yeah. not the most polished, you know, we got to get kids in here and make them better, but they don't quit. And as a coach, if you can have a team that doesn't quit and they stick together, you can go beat anybody that's and you it. can accomplish some great things. <laughs> you got a fighter's chance. That's for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Costi, same question, man. Take us into to just it's not leading Providence, and it's definitely not leading um, at some of the other programs you've been at. But when you think about leading the Navy, uh, the Naval Academy, um, how's that changed you as a leader? How's that changed your perspective? Well, you know, I think I think first of all, um, you know, uh, it is uh, it's pretty daunting when when it says Navy, you know, on your on your uniform. I mean, that's the United States Navy. I mean, the United States, it's like it's the United States military, the United States Air Force. I mean, that's, that's a, a, a pretty big responsibility, I think, um, you know, to take on. And, and, and you, 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 there's no doubt you are incredibly aware of that. You're aware of the young men that you coach, um, put that on the front of their jersey. Um, you, in, in this case, you know, our, 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 our brothers at Air Force, our brothers at Army, you know, what, what they, what they put on the front of their Jersey and, 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 and what it means. Um, you know, there, there's just, there's nothing, there's nothing that can be bigger than that. Um, and I think that's, um, um, what stands out to me just immediately right away is, you know, is that responsibility that you, that you do have, you know, Mike had mentioned it and, you know, um, earlier in his, his statement about, you know, you got to personally do a good job, you know, yeah. it, it's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something that you can, um, <laughs> lack of a better word, but flim flam. I mean, you have to, you have to go and represent and, and be part of something that, that is, is, is pretty special. And, 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 uh, that's, th- there's no doubt that there is a, uh, 
as, as there should be a, a microscope on, on, on what you're doing and, and, and how you go about your business because these people are so valuable. They're, 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 they're so important. Um, and as, as Jimmy said, uh, you know, mentioned, um, you know, part of, uh, alumni, uh, players experiences to relay how, you know, their experience in baseball helped them in their command or, or whatever, or whatever they may have done mm-hmm. within the military. And, and, you know, I've had that experience several times and, and I almost like, I'm, I'm almost, you know, that can't be true. There's no way that that sure. could have helped you when you were flying, uh, like I said, I don't know how, many, how much these planes cost, but you know, don't tell me that because that, that couldn't have been true. And I remember we had a player, uh, um, uh, he graduated in 2016, just a great kid, Robert Curry, um, uh, just captain the whole thing. And, and I saw him, you know, uh, just, just recently. And he just kept saying how much the process of baseball, the, 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 the ability to prepare every day, the ability to recognize nuances in, in what's going on within the game. Um, sometimes the, the failure portion of it, sure. the failure portion of, of, of baseball really does prepare people. And he went on about it. And I, I just was shocked that, 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 that had such a, uh, significant impact. So if, if we're doing that in these programs, which I know we are, um, we're, we're really part of the mission. And again, I would never, um, overstate that piece because there's so much more to it when they, when they leave the Academy, but we're just a small part of that mission. Something may click someday that we did on the field, um, or that they learned through being out on the field that, that may help. And it it sounds a little Pollyanna, but I think that's, that, that's one of the best things about coaching at Navy uh, or, or uh, any of the armed services is that, you know, you might, you might on an outside chance, you might have a, a, a small piece of impacting them in a real situation that, that, that may, may save someone's life. Oh, wow. Gosh. Okay. More goosebumps. Let's keep rolling. Uh, Jimmy, I want you to start this one in, in, in all three of you, when you think about taking us through a typical day, and again, from an outsider's perspective, we've got no idea truly what it looks like for your for your guys on a daily basis. So, Jimmy, take us through for, for an Army Black Knight from a guy that's on your team. What's his day look like from sunrise to sunset? Take us through a typical day. It's tough to explain. It really is. You know, I tell recruits all the time, it's tough to explain. you got to get here and see it and sure. you know, talk to the guys and talk to all these special people who are here. And, you know, they can explain it um, a lot better. You know, you know you're going to get you got to be flexible. You know, you're going to get hit with three or four things that you just don't know about. And, you know, it might be something like they have boxing class and they can't move it from the fall. You know, they, you, we wanted to take it in the fall and not, and not the spring, but they can't move it, you know, from the spring to the fall. So you might have a pitcher who's going to take boxing in, in the, the, um, you know, in the springtime, which isn't ideal, you know, for, for, for what you're going for, but (laughs) yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just, it's just tons of th- different things. You know, their, their, their tack officers or their coaches in, in the dorms, you know, might send out reports to you that, you know, he did, did this something positive. It could be something neutral. It could be something. I don't even understand half the reports to tell you the truth. You know what I mean? Like it, they do so many things, you know, be, be, you know, beyond the baseball field that, 
you know, I just got to keep a, an understanding like, Hey, they're, they're busy kids. They got a lot going on. The tough part for me is, is, you know, getting everybody understanding like their role, you know, and communication, sure. the communication piece is so important because if you don't do a good job with that, then the whole day gets blown up, you know, mm-hmm. by, by different things. Um, you know, I mean, definitely practice. So you can't have guys coming up to your practice and telling you, you know, 18 different things that's going on. And, you know, there's a lot of ceremonies they got to attend. There's a lot of responsibilities they got to do. So, um, you know, it's just one of those places that you got to be flexible. You got to go into the day knowing that a couple of things are going to happen. Kind of like when you play a game, you know, there's going to be three or four things that happen. You just, you just got to roll with it. You sure. can't fight it. Um, you know, stuff's going to happen. And, and what you got to do is, is, uh, slow down, figure out, you know, what you're going to do from there and then, and then, uh, then try and fix it. So, hmm. you know, it's, it's just a matter of, um, trying to figure out how to get what you in, you need to do in the amount of time you have it, yeah. you know? So there's a lot of scheduling stuff for me that, you know, it's like learning a different language. You know, there's just so many acronyms that you don't, you don't understand a lot of them. It's like learning a, a new language. So sure. for me, the first two years, I've only been here two years. Um, there's been a lot of learning and, um, there's no handbook they give out that says here, this is how you do it. You know, I, before I took the job, I talked to Costi. I talked to a few other people, but you know, coach Maneri was very helpful. Um, but yeah, there's, there's nothing that you can do to prepare for this. And, um, you know, I think you just gotta have like, you know, that big picture mentality and, and understand that, you know, it's, it's more than baseball, but, um, you know, what you're doing is something, something special, you know, That's so a... you're building something special. And, um, you know, when I got here and I saw that, um, you know, that they needed help, you know, I just wanted to help them, you know, and, and get them good because what I love about the, what we like winning matters, we can't lose. You know, I remember General Caslin when he when he hired me, he said, you know, we every every game we play is on the road and we can't lose, you know, so winning's important. And um I like that. You know, I like talking about winning. I like talk about um how important it is cuz that's what these guys have to do. Uh you know, they go and fight for us. They there's no option to lose, you know. So, you know, that that those are the things and the way they compete and and you know, how much they put into it. It's almost like you got to spend as much time getting them to back off more than anything. Sure. You know, it's almost like they try too hard. So, you know, th- this is one of those places where it's, um, you know, it, it's very unique. It's yeah. really, really unique. And, um, you know, there's a lot to it. So, um, they don't, they don't hand you a handbook, but they hand you a sheet of paper. that has FIO figure it out. Cause yeah, you figure it out, get in there and get to work. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> uh, Costi, same question, man. Take us into your program. Uh, you know, sunrise to sunset. What's it look like for a midshipman? What are they What are they getting into on a daily basis? You know, I, I think um, obviously it goes without saying. Uh, military is routine, and and routine is important. Sure. Um, and they get up in the morning. Um, we form up in the after uh, at lunchtime, so they they don't get up quite as early on a daily basis. Um, breakfast is. Um, at uh it's at 6:30 um their first class is at 7:55 um 
you know, they'll typically go through, and this varies on day to day, but they'll have uh, they'll have a solid five classes a day. Um, okay. You know, that brings them up through lunchtime, and then in the fall, you know, we go right up until about three uh, thirty. We don't practice till four o'clock in the fall. In the spring, you know, they'll uh, they do schedule a little bit where you're going to get out uh, closer to uh, you know we call it two fifty, but it's closer to three o'clock mm-hmm. um, out on the field. And it's pretty much go, go, go um, the whole day, you know, because even even when you're not, um, well, at least this is what has been relayed to me through the, through the uh, midshipmen, even when they're not actually sitting in class, there's a responsibility in the hall, Bancroft Hall. Uh, there is responsibility within their company. There may be an opportunity to go over extra instruction. I really have never witnessed, Jeremy, anything quite as frenetic as what goes on Uh <laughs> During the day at, at, and it's, I'm, it's the same. I, you know, my assumption is it's the same at the other two schools, but, yeah. you know, just, just that, that complete pace. Um, I, I tell people when, you know, young people when I'm recruiting them that, hey, if, if, if you're not one of those guys that has your hair on fire and your, your feet hit the ground running, this may not be the place for you because sure. it is a requirement. Um, you know, so they'll come out to practice, they'll finish practice, you know, roughly 6.30 or so. Um, we back to dinner, um, you know, it takes a half hour, probably 20 minutes to, you know, transition back to dinner. They'll eat quickly as they do here. They eat lunch in about 10 minutes. They eat dinner in about 15, um, back to the hall and they'll start the, uh, the study, you know, the preparation for the next day process, you know, the homework, the, the, the labs and, and they just keep repeating that. Um, and you know, it's uh, it's pretty fast paced. And, and like Jimmy had alluded to, you know, I think as coaches, we just have to be aware that, you know, they get they get a bunch of curveballs in the day and it's yeah. not necessarily their their lack of planning. It's 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 just it's the frenetic pace of what goes on at, at, at the academies. And, and I think our role is to try to accommodate without without compromise um you know and I, i've heard that from a few people at the mm. academy you have to accommodate these young people they get you know we graduate with about 145 credits uh if you counted pe which we don't necessarily count pe we just pass fail those but about 145 credits that's five years worth of school so you have to you know accommodate some of the things that happen without compromising what you want to do at the end of the day whether it's in uh, you know, baseball or any of the sports or any of the extracurricular um, situations, they mm. they have to be able to do that. So, um, I would just term the day as busy. That would yeah. that would be my best description. <laughs> Might be an understatement. Um, yeah, Kaz, same question. Take us through a day of what it looks like to be part of the Falcons baseball program. How they work all this in to twenty four hours. Well, the normal perception for normal fe- normal people out there is they think the academy is a bunch of crazy ass weirdo kids that are running around in camouflage doing push-ups all day and <laughs> even practice that believe me i hear that all the time yes you know you're talking about the three best schools that our country has to offer That's every right. one of these young men and women here are on a half million dollar full ride scholarship the attitude isn't oh my gosh this is hard it's bring it on <laughs> and that's the type of caliber of kids that we want that are going to go fight for our country so Yes, our kids aren't doing push-ups all damn day. They're not running around with a rifle over their head saying, I want to fly jets, you know, like officer and a gentleman. Um, what, for us, it's kids are up by 6.15, 6.30. They go to breakfast at 7. We start classes at 7.30. Uh, here's a little bit different. Um, all the intercollegiate athletes are front-loaded, so they'll take all their classes in the morning. 
Uh, at lunchtime, we'll all march to lunch. We'll have a lunch together as a full wing. And then following that, we start practice at 2.15, and we'll end about 6 o'clock every day. The kids go eat dinner. Uh, they'll have a little bit of time with social media. That's something that uh, you always got to keep our tabs on to make sure they put their darn phones away, make sure they study. Um, for all the, the academies, I mean, this is tough, man. We're making leaders. We're developing leaders of character. So they're taking physics, chemistries, out, aero, sure. mechanical, electrical engineering, philosophy, poli-sci, behavioral science, military history. I mean, once again, this is not for the uh, a kid that just goes, oh, I just want to play baseball. Nope. Yeah. We need the whole package to come to this type of school and this type of opportunity. Uh, our kids don't, don't get days off. You know, they're going to study every day. They have to. And that's how it is in the military, too. You don't get afforded an opportunity to take a day off. Because I like what Jim's saying. You know, our mission here is real simple, too. Fly, fight, win. We can never afford to be number two. And as a nation, we don't want that to happen. We get the best of the best kids to come to this school. And these kids are going to go for you and I. So that's even comes from when we're on that, once again, the friendly field of strife and our days on our field will bear the fruits of victory. General MacArthur said it, you know, we're once again preparing these kids to go fight. And we do not fight wars on our home soil. So at the academy, for instance, we play a lot of road games. And I tell our kids all the time, get used to it. You don't yeah. play home games five years from now. So all we're doing, once again, is prepping these kids for war, and we're throwing so much on their plate. And for me, being a dad, you know, my job and responsibility is I get to speak out of both ends. I don't want them to be like me when they came through the academy. I was the worst cadet ever. I came here to be a baseball player. And now being a dad, I want our kids to be, what are you, a rocket scientist? Yes. All the academies. Our kids are engineers. Yeah. Our kids can be doctors. Our kids can be lawyers. A lot of my guys here are going to go be jet pilots. You hear from these other schools out there saying, you can't be an engineer. Why not? You know, at least at Naval Academy, West Point, and the Air Force, we're pushing these kids in the classroom. We have 32 different majors. I have a rocket scientist on the team. I have a former astronaut, Nick Tyler Haig, who graduated here in 99. This is cool stuff that we get to do. Wow. But it, once again, it's not for the ordinary. It's for the extraordinary. And that's a cool thing that we get to do. And for us coaches to be surrounded by such high caliber young men and women on a daily basis, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. You know, it gets me a little fired up. Hopefully you could hear that. But it's about the time. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. And there's things that are happening. I got kids in charge of 4,000 kids here. I got kids in charge of 1,000. Kids are in charge of 100 where they go, Coach, I got this going on. And, Coach, we've all been through it going, okay, got it. Come down when you can. That's it. So let's get into recruiting, Kaz. That's a perfect segue when you talk about the, the type of people that are great fits for the armed services baseball programs. So we'll talk about recruiting. And, and Kosti, I want you to start this one off. How does that look for you? What are the maybe the characteristics of the ideal fits that are perfect for what the Navy, Naval Academy is doing? You know, I, I think first it, it, it starts with just, uh, you know, good old fashioned hard work. Um, you know, it, you got to get out there. Your staff's got to get out there. We've got to identify players uh, that we think are going to help us uh, be competitive, um, you know, and, and, and be successful here. And, and um, then there's kind of the, the, the three piece process that goes with it. Um, you know, we want to match up a guy that's interested and has sincere interest with a, a guy that can compete in the classroom and a guy that can, you know, obviously help us win games. And sometimes it comes in, uh, it, it, it flows differently. What I mean, Jeremy, and sometimes mm. 
there is an individual who's so interested in the military and probably interested in the, in, in, in the three service academies and, and just has a passion for that and, and, and wants to do that as part of his, his or her experience. And we're going to go out there and, uh, you know, make sure we identify uh, and evaluate them. Going to cross-check them, going to figure out, you know, do they have the skill set potentially to play here? Because all three of us are, uh, are national recruiters. There's really no yeah. niche recruiting That's right. in, um, in, in this world. So we got to really have a, a, an open mind and depend on some people uh, through phone calls, et cetera, et cetera, with our cross-checking. Then we want to get out and see them. Sometimes it's the opposite, uh, meaning, you know, we see a player at, at, at just like everybody, at, you know, every other staff in the country. We see a player we really like. We're going to send him off some um, uh, introduction, so to speak, and we're going to find out if he's interested, you know, in potentially going to uh, Navy. So sometimes we, we, we have to uh, do a little bit of that. You know, we have to really, I would say three quarters of my roster. Um, wasn't quite sure about Navy or even was aware of the opportunities that the Naval Academy offered until we reached out. I would say 25 to 30 percent of them. Um, they were just uh, kind of really determined to be part of our armed service, services mm-hmm. and, and wanted to come to a service academy. So there's a little bit different, but I don't think it's anything real different. Um, you know, the, the character aspect obviously is there. It's been talked about. You know, that has to be there. The the uh, academic potential has to be there for sure. I mean, the, you know, the government's investing $350,000 or $400,000 in each of these individuals. We, we, we got to make sure that they're going to, you know, have a return on that's that right. um, and that they're capable of doing that, that kind of stuff. So, so that's kind of the, the, but I don't think it's uh, so uniquely different. Uh, one thing I will say, you know, is I think this is my, 30th year coaching, um, you know, uh, athletes, players, they want to play, they want to win, mm-hmm. uh, they want to be competitive. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the very, very many similarities, but the, you know, that's what you're doing when you're going out recruiting. And I don't think that really, really, um, is overly different than how you would approach any other, uh, school. I will say you have to be pretty organized because you are dealing with a large number of, uh, of people. That's right. That's right. Cat, same question, man. Recruiting for you, recruiting for kids that want to come be part of the Air Force Academy. What's that look like? What's the kind of the, the ideal characteristics that, that show up for guys that, that would flourish in your program? Uh, growing up for me, I was a, I idolized Pete Rose. And I want those hard-nosed, charging kids that every coach is looking for that's going to leave it all on the field. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, hell, if we end up 5 and 50 or 50 and 5, I just want to be proud of the young men that we put forth out, out between the white lines. And um, to me, recruiting is easy. Everyone thinks, oh, gosh, recruiting at the academy must be this so difficult. It's not. I mean, this is about the easiest place to recruit to that you can imagine. Uh, if you're a parent, understand the fact that your kid is being offered a half million dollar full ride scholarship opportunity a lifetime for this kid, for your son to be a badass for the rest of his life. It's easy. You know, this is the winning lottery ticket in life. There are no student loans, no debt, guaranteed job when they graduate. They're getting one of the most premier educations in the world. I always like to say that this is a Ivy League education on steroids because at all of our schools, kids are going to take boxing. Kids are going to get literally punched in the face. They're going to take mixed martial arts. They're going to jump off 10-meter platforms. They're going to do survival training. They're going to jump out of airplanes. Here, they're going to get the solo gliders. They're going to strap into a jet and put on a flight suit, gravity suit, parachute, helmet, mask, and visor, go 400 to Mach 1 and pull nine times their body weight. It's badass what we do. 
And these are those YOLO moments. I love that word term YOLO. You get one chance to live your life. And yep. you never, we don't want kids in our military that are going to look back and go, huh, I wonder what if I should have, I could have. We want that hard charging kid that's saying, hell yeah, bring it on. I want to be part of something that's special. I want to be part of something that's different. You know, this is once again, this is not for the average kid. This is not for, oh, he's a really great baseball player, but not the best kid. We don't want that. We're looking for the overall package where these young men and women are going to be truly the elite for our country that are going to go serve and fight. And um, Army and Navy, my daughter's here. My daughter applied to go to Army and Navy. I applied to go to Army and Navy. So I like all of us. If there's, if I lose a kid to Jim or if I lose a kid to Kasi that's going to go Army or Navy, I'm pumped it's because of the fact it's a win for our yeah. country. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, if a kid awesome. wants to be a nuclear submarine guy, Probably not the Air Force Academy. Probably not. <laughs> Doesn't seem oh. like it fits. <laughs> no, and you know, if and that's the whole idea is the same. Ex- they're going to get the same athletic experience at all three of our schools. Yeah. At the end of the day, if they're going to put on our nation's uniform to go serve and fight, now they got to try to figure that out at a little bit younger age. To go, you know, wh- what direction do I see myself? What mm. branch of the military do I see myself? And that's a hard one. Mm. I always like using. Uh, we're talking about recruiting. I was out at Lake Point out in Georgia a couple of years ago. There's a kid pitching at some far ox field about an hour away. And this kid's 88 to 91 with a good hammer. And there's a, another coach out there looking. And he goes, he comes up to me and goes, what do you think? I said, I'll be honest with you, coach. I'm trying to envision this young man leading a two-ship of F-35s on a strafe and run into Iran. I'm trying to figure out if he's got what it takes. And he looked at me and goes, holy crap, I just hope the kid's eligible. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I said, Coach, there's a big difference between my job and your job. Two different lenses. My job, is, my job is to make a warrior, and your job is to make a baseball player. And I walked away, and I meant it. And I, it irked me as yeah. a dad, yeah. having kids that are almost college age and college age, that uh, you know we, we need to treat these kids with respect and dignity. They're not pieces of meat. Um, I want our kids to be rocket scientists. I want our kids to be doctors. I want them to go fly jets. I want them to live their life, no boundaries, no limits, no fences, push themselves, do it all. Yeah. Because once again, the game is going to go. They're going to, you're going to take a step to the right. The next guy is going to come up and nobody cares about your past baseball career. But what we do care about is what you learned, that stress, that adversity, that pressure, that team or cohesive unit that's going to build and it's going to, uh, you know, once again, lead that person to go fight wars for us and be great, productive citizens of our country. So, yeah, what we offer, no other schools offer. Yeah. So if yep. I'm a parent out there, I'm going, hell yeah, you need to look at West Point. You need to look at Navy. You need to look at Air Force, Coast Guard, Merchant, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you're going to be successful here. When you're surrounded by the best of the best that our country has to offer, what does that make that person? Pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. I just wish so, I had more energy. Um, so, <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I love it, uh, Jimmy. Same question, man. Talking about recruiting um, again. When you're thinking about the ideal person that, that's perfect for the Army baseball program, sure. But for for Army West Point, what, what kind of people uh, fit that model? I think like like Costi and Kaz were saying, you're looking for someone who, um, you know, academics, military leadership, and baseball all line up. Yeah. You know, baseball isn't third. Academics isn't third. You know, when I got here, I noticed that. You know, they, everyone had different priorities. But mm. I think now that, you know, baseball is important to them, you know, being the best leader, um, 
best officer they can be and, and academically it's all important to them obviously you have some guys where like myself when i played for costi i was baseball 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 i was like kaz you know just baseball and costi got on me and got me through there and now i got a degree from providence college which for me is quite an accomplishment yeah. you know <laughs> sure because I mean, I'm going to chime in on that. Okay. <laughs> it absolutely, it's an accomplishment. Yeah, I was the I first got, one I to graduate. Whole, I got a whole patch of gray hair on the back of my head. <laughs> Just from Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he got me through. You know, he, yeah. he, I was the first one in my family to graduate from college. And, you know, my costume got me through. So that's my job now, just to get these guys through. You know, you you just got to help them day to day and, and get them through. But, you know, when you're recruiting, you want kids that that uh, want those three things. You know, they want to be the best they can be in everything they do. Yep. Um, you know, it's going to teach you to excel with, with excellence in everything. So you, you got to want that challenge every day. Um, kids with a mental and physical toughness to be able to do it. Um, you know, and then they have the, you know, the relentlessness and discipline that, that – it's necessary to, to get it done here. You know, I think, guys, the best quality you can have here is when you get knocked down, get up. Yep. You know, just get up. So many kids now, when you coach them, they think you're insulting. You know what I mean? And, sure, and yeah. They're so sensitive. But the, the kid, like, it's a, the more we coach you, the more we're, we're just trying to compliment you. Like, hey, you, you have this in you. I'm just trying to bring it out, you know. So I think kids are just, you know, they get knocked down, they get up. They want to be coached. They want to be coached hard. They want to be pushed. Um, and you have to embrace that. You can't get them at practice and say, all right, we're just going to take it easy. I know you've had a tough day. You know, like you, you got to go. Yeah. And uh, that, that's how they, they want to be, be coached. You know, you got to be demanding. It's a, it's a demanding place. And, and I like to be as honest as possible with recruits. You know, if you can't see what kind of an opportunity this is, then, then you know, this isn't for you. You know, we try and get them here and, and show it, show it to them. And, you know, all the coaches say their thing and the players. And we have so many resources at these schools where if they want to talk to somebody in engineering or, you know, how to be a lawyer or a doctor sure. um, or do kinesiology, whatever, you know, they can talk to somebody. So we, we, we can uh, hook them up with the right people. There's a lot of resources. And I think the biggest thing is, hey, you don't have to be perfect. You know, if you – if you struggle in any of these areas, there's a lot of help here. You know, people are going to help you. It's not, it's not just, a, you know, sink or swim. You know, you, you struggle in a certain area, people are going to come in. They're going to help you. I'll be there for you. You know, like Costi was, I had two years of study hall. I'll never forget it up in his office <laughs> with about five or six of us. And, uh, you know, he's just trying to make you better and get you through. If, I, if he didn't make me go to those and, then I, I wouldn't have got through, That's it. you know, and total different, totally different course in life. So um, bottom line is you got to get players and you got to make them better when they're here. You want to be as successful as possible um, when they graduate. But player development is so important if you want to be good. Well, it's, I'll, I'll do a caveat to that, Jimmy, is, um, you know, if you're if – you're- obviously on a guy and you're coaching them, don't take this criticism. When I stop talking to you, that's when you should be concerned, you know, mm-hmm. when we get to that point. But uh, I think a, a great, you know, bring all that together is that I think for any high school coach that's out there, any travel coach that's out there, when you have guys that you look at your team that are the unspoken leader, 
guys that are solution oriented, guys that have a work ethic that that just blows the water out of everyone else around them. I think you need to start talking that talk and having these guys consider these options that they're out there. And I'm sure these guys would love to have uh, more guys like that inside their programs. This is an important question. This is one we ask on our dugout chatter shows, and I felt it was it was appropriate to bring over to this show. When you think about how you define success, and that's a word that, again, we could get lost in a lot of different ways, but for you guys, your perspective is so narrow in terms of what real success means for you as a coach in terms of how you're really growing up these young men. Kaz, take that question. How do you define success? Um, early on in my coaching career was the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that was not the right way in mm-hmm. my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, defining success is not when they walk across that stage. It's five years from now. It's 10 years from now. It's having that relationship. And once again, my mission vision statement, great men, great husbands, great fathers. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. We're all, de- you know, all three of us, we're developing leaders of character. They're going to go fight for our country. And our profession is a dangerous one. It's a profession of arms. And yes, we're looking for the best of the best kids. And yes, we got the smart kids and they're just, they're great young men and women that are here, but they also have to have a little hatred in their heart mm. about the mission at hand. So, you know, with that, uh, they have to go fight the fight for our country. Uh, so defining success, once again, I mean, hell, you look at my win-loss record, you probably go, well, maybe he should have been fired five years ago. But you're looking at the type of the quality and caliber of young men that have left this program that have graduated from here, yep. they're doing great things for our military. Yep. That's how I define success is That's looking it. at what they're doing after the fact. I will not put my stamp on a young man that's not ready to lead our country. Hmm. And I had a young man this past year. I suspended him because he didn't turn in his homework. Because that's a direct reflection upon our program. Sure. And I like to think. And I, I'm going to self-proclaim that we're the best team at the academy. Uh, maybe not wins and losses via the, you know, the between the white lines. But when you look at the overall caliber of young men that we have in our program, academically, militarily, and of course, athletically, we're the best. You know, we have the leaders of our school. We have rocket scientists on our team. Defining success, you can't just be so short-minded to look at the end of the day, the scoreboard. Um, if I do not have a relationship with my kids 5, 10, 20 years down the road, I failed them. I, at the end of the day, I want to have one hell of a funeral because <laughs> I want all my boys to know that I got their backs uh, from the time they get here to the time I'm dead. So that's kind of the important piece to me is as I get older, and Jimmy alluded to this one earlier, make a difference. Every hat I have, MAD, make a difference, make a difference. And I know I'm going to be judged by someone a whole heck of a lot bigger than my wife someday, and I want to make sure that I'm doing it right. That's it. And I try to envision that every day I got a camera on myself and go, what would my kids think of dad today? They popped in 10 September, 2018. What would they think of me? Yeah. And that's, that's the way I live my life. And I'm just, I'm happy to be alive, man. You ask me how I'm doing today. I guarantee I'm going to say awesome. Yeah. I'm just happy to be alive and I'm going to live it like it's my last day. And it's all about YOLO. That's awesome. Jimmy, same question, man. Success, such a term that that's tough for a lot of us to truly define. I know that's changed for you as well. Uh, how do you define it? How do you go about that? I think like Cass said, you, you know, you, you, you got to do it right every day. If you just focus on doing the right thing every single day, being yourself, being a good person, um, being, being, um, being honest and, and, just trying to do it the the right way every single day. I focus more on the process and then I think the success takes care of itself. Um, for me, it's, 
I'm always thinking about, all right, what can we do to get better? What can we do today? Um, you know, you're always thinking about how much talent you have, of course, but how am I going to get them to do this as a team? You know, last year in the regionals, they were asking about our ball club and it, it was my first one, you know, here. And, um, mm -hmm. it was so proud. It was so nice to be able to get up in front of a room and, and talk about army West point and our military and, you know, how everything we're talking about today, you know, and sure. last year, last year's team, what I think we were, you know, they just came together as a team. You know, we weren't a crazy talented team. They just scrapped and did their thing. And all of us would be proud of that. So to me, that's a success. Just be the best, become the best you can be as a team and do it together. And if you do that, um, you're going to be, you know, happy. And at the end of the day, if you're happy, with the job you've done, like Kaz said, like Kasi said, you know, you at the end of our careers, if we're happy with the job we've done, that's all you can do, you know, and that, that's what, that's why we push every year and that's why we care so much. And, um, you know, so I think just getting that talent and teamwork to, to work together and, and making the guys realize that's when, when big things will happen. Love it. Kosti, same question, man. How do you define success? What's that mean to you? Yeah, you know, it's a, uh, it is tough, you know, and, and it's funny, uh, you know, I, I got, got to thinking about what it is, you know, uh, and, and maybe we don't, or maybe I don't do enough thought about that, you know, so, you know, what is successful? What do you, you, you term as success? And, you know, I've always just, just wanted to be a part of something. That's all I've wanted to be able to do, mm -hmm. contribute the way I think, um, hopefully is going to help us, you know, um, be successful. And, 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 you know, it boils down to a million little things and, and you just kind of believe in those, like, like, uh, you know, Jimmy had said, it's a process. It's day to day. It's thinking about getting better. It's thinking about what I can do to improve. It's also the ability to understand, you know, much like Mike said, you know, he, he, he wants to appeal to all his players, you know, and, and everybody's different, you know, um, on your roster. Um, some kids respond in, in one way, some, some respond in another. Um, and, you know, I've always thought that, you know, the successful guy or the successful coach can reach the most of those players. I think everybody would agree in coaching. You, you don't necessarily reach everybody. It's just, it's kind of how it goes, but the successful guy has a way of relating to most players on his team. And, uh, he also has a way of being able to, uh, get people to function as a unit. And I think that's success. Um, it's, you know, likes and dislikes kind of it's human nature. Some people like it a little more. Some people, um, don't, I, I think it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a natural process and, and, and you want things to be real and natural, but, but I definitely think success is based on, uh, um, being able to relate to individuals, um, as, as many as you possibly can and doing what Jimmy said, you know, putting a team together, that plays as a team. We've all had some talented players, I think, over our years. And I think we've, we've kind of had a question mark at the end of the year. Like, you know, why didn't this work better? We had better players than this. Sure. And, it, and it boils down to maybe we weren't as good putting the team together. Maybe that wasn't as, as successful a component as, as, as we thought. So you're never quite sure. But I, I, I go back to the, 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 the part of just being part of something to me is successful. Just being that, I think one of the biggest thrills I have, it doesn't matter if we're playing a, um, 
you know, a midweek game on Wednesday or, or a huge conference game or, or a tournament game, uh, our locker room is right below um, the uh, my office. And, uh, you know, um, when you hear the hooting and the hollering and the, and the, the, the joy that comes from being successful that day of working hard and, and having maybe a, a great game, um, to me that has been the biggest thrill in my career. Um, is to, to have a locker room that's excited about being successful. And, and to me, that's, that, that carries you. That sustains you. Whether, like I said, whether it's on a Wednesday or an NCAA regional game, hearing that kind of enthusiasm is, to me, is, 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 is a mark or at least a, a, a part of the process of being successful. Mm. So good. All right, this is interesting. I've never done a fill in the blank. I'm going to do this for the first time with you guys. We think about fill in the blank. Jimmy, first one to tackle this. The best players, the best people you've been around are blank. The be- the best player, uh, John Rosoff, our catcher who graduated last year. Just he's he's 155 pounds, but he gives you everything he can possibly give um, out there on the field. Um, you know, he's just one of those players that without him, we wouldn't even made the, the conference playoffs. You know, he's just one of those guys that made you go. And, you know, I mentioned those pro guys earlier, a couple of Hall of Famers. And, you know, being here, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more awe, you know, like star factor. And um, when I look at the uh, colonels and generals and, and just what, I mean, Rosie did engineering. You know, he was always studying. He, his schedule was incredible he you know made people around him better mm. you know i think that's another example of you if you're successful you make you make others around you better and he sure. did that so mm. um you know john rosoff who graduated last year um is, is one of those players for me there you go without a doubt okay uh costy same question man the best players the best people you've been around how do you define those people uh, well, I would, you know, it, it's, it, again, there's so many different, uh, best is always a, a, a funny category. You know, yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, kind of like the, I look at some of the most talented players, you know, that, that I, 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 you know, had an opportunity to coach, you know, and I mentioned before, you know, Lou Maroney was, uh, you know, made the major leagues, John McDonald, um, major leagues, Mitch Harris, you know, at, at Navy actually served for four and a half years and pitched with the Cardinals briefly, Oliver Drake, who, uh, uh, went on and, and played for the Orioles. Uh, uh, Luke Gillingham was an All-American at, at Navy, and uh, you know, quite frankly, the guy uh, on the uh, on this call with us is probably uh, right there, if not in, in equal quality. If not, I think he had as a break. He's a major leaguer too. So um, those are some of the better players uh, that that I had an opportunity to coach, and 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 I'm sure I missed some people, but you know, really kind of unique people that that went on, but, uh, you know, you, you do, you, you think about a lot of those people, um, over time. And it's so hard to say the best because collectively is, is, is what made them the best. And, and I've always, always thought that, you know, we always try to single out someone that was, you know, a little better and, and that's good. I mean, that's part of the process of, of evaluating and, and thinking, but, but it, it's really the collection of people that made them the best. You know, if, if Jimmy didn't have Lou Maloney hitting in front of him, he wouldn't have been as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa. You know, I forgot how I hit you. Yet. You might be able to remember, Jim. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's a collection of, of, of your teammates 
that make you the best possible player you can be. So I think sometimes it, it truly is your team that, that is, is the best or, or, or stands out the most. And, and that's the reason why you have some success, maybe as a player, maybe as a coach, um, you name it. Um, so I kind of look at it, uh, in a lot of different, there's certainly talented best, but there's best because you had a great team. And I think, uh, that's really important. That's good. Kaz, same question, man. The best players, the best people you've been around, what jumps off? What rises to the top in terms of what makes them great? One team, one fight. And I think of Army. I think of Navy. And being able to compete against those young men, once again, in the friendly fields of strife, those kids that have opted to be part of that half percent, those are the young, those are the kids I give my ultimate respect to because they're putting their right hand up and they're giving the ultimate sacrifice to our country. So I don't care if they were an all-star. I don't care if they never played. Um, for these kids to take this type of opportunity and have my back, they're all held in the highest regard for me. Um, we don't have major league banners hanging. You know, we have pictures of all of our former players that have done the Air Force baseball uniform, and they might have played one year. They might have played a half year. They might have played four years. Uh, but those are the difference makers that have made our country great. And uh, I think there's very few times in the co- college season where there are great games. And the great games are not the SEC matchup or the Power Five matchups. It's when Air Force plays Army. It's when Air Force plays Navy. It's when sure. Navy plays Army. That's for the love of the game. And that, to me, is, is the most dramatic, profound thing that I could ever say and the best players I've ever been around. It's those players that have worn our nation's uniform and not just the darn baseball uniform. And I just got a text from one of Costi's uh, boys yesterday and just, you know, checking in, checking in with me because the relationship is, is huge. And, yeah. you know, I appreciate meeting uh, the Black Knights. I appreciate the meeting the middies because what they're going to go do at the end of the day, we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. We're all fighting together. So, yeah, I mean, we could talk about Steven Strasburg. We can talk about Aaron Judge that played in the Mount West Conference. I can talk about Griffin Jacks. I mean, I mean, I got guys. Now, the one thing I do think that I do not want to pass over, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, was Stephen Reich because I played against Stephen. I've got the coach against Stephen, and then understand that he took what he learned on the athletic field and he took it over with his Chinook over in the Kumbar province over in northern Afghanistan, the Marcus Luttrell story, lone survivor in 2005 when his Chinook was shot down and we lost. I think it's about 16 or 17 people that night, including a bunch of, of SEALs along with uh, Major Reich. And so that's at the end of the day that this is what we do. And our profession, once again, is hard and it's challenging and it's difficult. Um, and our mission at the end of the day is this is a tough one. But our mission is, is to kill the, kill the bad guys. Yeah. And so that's, that's what it puts a kind of perspective to me. The best players, hmm, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's – that's good okay last question i got for you guys and again you've been so uh giving in your time and your effort and your energies towards this uh, special interview for for us as an association and our membership but we're talking about the best advice you've been given this is again for coaches there's youth coaches high school travel college professional coaches paying attention to this and they're just wanting to get your perspective of the best advice you've been given and then what other advice do you have to offer a coach that's paying attention costi can you kick that one off for us Sure. Uh, yeah. Another uh, another uh, question that makes you think. Um, you know, my 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 best ad- advice is 
sometimes not to give a lot of advice. And, and um, you know, people have to experience things. They have to uh, – learning is the best uh, experience for that. Um, so you don't like to throw out a ton of advice. I mean, the, the things that work for the three of us are may not work for other people. And, and it's just a, – it's a lot about coaching experience. Um, one thing that I would definitely, if I were to give some – a little bit of advice. Um, you know, you need to be thoughtful, comfortable, and confident. Um, and I say that all the time. Um, uh, those three uh, attributes are so important, especially in today's coaching. And I, I don't care if you're coaching high school, college, you know, whatever, uh, summer ball, wh- whatever you're coaching, because there is, a, there is almost an hysteria at times, and, and we've become more critical of coaches would become more critical of, uh, of, uh, we're, we're just easier, easier targets than we used to. It's, sure. it's, it's uh, it's almost like, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm old. So I have to <laughs> offer this in perspective is that I would never, my dad was a, a college coach for 30 years. I would never, ever even think about questioning what a coach did or, or his, I don't know his, his strategies or mm-hmm. how he ran. Pro- I would never do that. Um, um, and it is, it, it's now it's out there for debate. So you have to be confident in what you, you do. You have to be thoughtful in what you do and you have to be comfortable in who you are. And, and I think because you're going to get those criticisms, you're going to get feedback from your own administration now. And whether that's in high school or college and, and, if you've thought about it, you're comfortable with it, you're confident with it, you, you, you got to go that way. Yeah. And that would be, that would be my best advice as, 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 um, uh, as someone who doesn't like to give a lot of advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's an outstanding answer. Uh, Jimmy, same question, man. You think about the best advice you've been given, but then what, are, what other advice would you have? Anyone paying attention to the show, how would you lead them down a better path? I'd say just stay humble. You know, always, always keep it simple. Just always do the right thing. Always be humble. Never, never get ahead of yourself, and um, just just think small. You know, you know, you want you big things will happen. Everybody, everybody wants to, especially young coaches now. I, I see so many of them that are just in a rush. They're they're in a rush. They want that quick fix, that magic pill, whether it's launch angle or you know spin rate or some program, and you put in a computer and it just gives you all the answers and you know, it might be sabermetrics. It might be, it, it's about, no, it's about none of, not one thing. It's about a, a whole bunch of things that you have to put mm-hmm. together. And the only way you get good at this is by doing it every single day and really watching what's going on. Um, you know, and, and talking to people, communicating. And, um, like Costi said, you gotta be, you gotta be comfortable and, and, you got to be thoughtful. You got to be confident. I like that. You know, you, every every single year, it's just about getting a little better. You know, you don't have to go from coaching from one level to the highest level in a year. You know, you see that with a lot of young coaches. They they think they're ready, but they're not ready. You know, there, there's a lot that goes to this. Just be patient and keep working at it and stay humble. And, um, you know. I think uh, if you focus more on the mind than the body, you'll do really well. You know, everybody's so into mechanics and, and the physical side of things. Start thinking about, um, you know, small keys that get our minds to work the right way. And, um, you know, what, what makes us 
do things, what will help us, you know, achieve um, results. You know, what I'm trying to say is um, focus on that a little more than mechanics. Yeah. You know, there's more more to it than just the, the physical side, the higher you go. And then, um, you know, get your kids to play like we're not even there watching the games. We want to watch games where, you know, the focus is more on winning, more on playing the games the right way, and less on who's there watching me. You know, we don't really care about, I mean, the guy throws 90, he throws 90. So what? You know, he throws 82, he throws 82. You know, just play like we're not even there. Play for the joy of the game. Play for, teach him how to run the bases. Teach him how to get in and out of the dugout. You know, summer ball is getting very, very watered down. We need to do something about that. Yeah. You know, the, the, the way they're, they're playing the game and the way they're being taught to play the game, I'm sorry, it's not the right way. So, so you know, if you're a young coach out there, teach them how to play the game the right way. You know, trial and error. Build up your tool shed. You know, the more tools you have in that shed, the more guys you can help out. You know, um, learn the personalities, like Coach was saying earlier. If you don't get to know these guys, they won't, won't, they won't respond. You know, you have to get to know, to know them. You know, if Costi told me something, I'd run through a wall for him. Like, he didn't even have to explain it. But now you have to explain it. Yeah. You have to be able to say, you know, these kids ask you why. So you have to have an answer for them. There's different levels, talent levels. There's different ways of communicating. You got to really work on that. That's key. You know, how you get your message to somebody and, and making sure that they understand it. Because um, none of us want to hear, um, I told them. Yeah, yeah, you told them, but you got to get them to do it. You know, so how do you get a guy to do it? I think if you focus on the mental more than the physical, because kids almost seem paralyzed out there by the physical. You know, they're thinking of their movements. Sure. They're thinking of, they're thinking of, you know, how they look. So just try to free them up um, and and just breed confidence and let uh, you know, let a kid know like you can do it. You think you can't do it, but you can. You can achieve anything. You know, like any of our teams. I root for these guys. I I want one of us to get to Omaha. I think that'd be the best thing ever. You know, and I think we can do it. Two years ago, Boston College was one game from Omaha. You know, we had Justin Dunn and Mike King, and we had a really good pitching staff. And, you know, we, we were one game from Omaha. We won a regional. And, um, you know, I think one of us can do it. You know, when you put together what we have for, for players, the type of players we have, and we get the um, talent level where it should be, and we get these guys doing the right things, you know, I, I think – that's something, you know, that drives me every day. It might, it might be crazy, but you know, that's what drives me. You know, I, I want to, it's one of the things that drives me. I'm trying to get better at what Kaz has, you know, Kaz has a great perspective on things and Kasi does too. I just feel uh, very lucky to be part of this. And, um, you know, I don't want to look back and say I could have done something better. So sure. just don't want to have any regrets. You know, I think that's something for young coaches. Don't look back and have any regrets. Um, focus on what you're doing and uh, what benefits the group. Never change from that. Never deviate. And, um, you know, that together is strong. And uh, it's a formidable team, just like our military. Um, we're all together. And uh, to me, we got the best team in the world. That's it. Kaz, take us home on this, my friend. Best advice you've been given. What other advice would you have to offer us? Um, as I'm getting older, and once again, being a dad, uh, the game of life is bigger than the game of baseball, mm -hmm. especially for the younger coaches that are out there 
nobody cares about state championships. Nobody cares about uh, you won your conference. You know what? What? What is the respect uh, that is given to you because you're the coach? Um, so understand that uh, you need to treat your players with respect and dignity. Uh, treat your number one like you'd treat your 35, or treat your 35 like you treat your number one. Um, be a, be that big brother. Be a dad to these kids because leadership 101 is real simple. You got to take care of your people. Mm-hmm. If you take care of your people the right way, they're going to take care of you. And when I'm, we're talking taking care of people, it's not ensuring that they do, you know, between the white lines of being successful. It's everything that they do that you got to have your eyes on them on all different aspects of their life. And if you could do that as a coach, that's who I want my to play for. Because if you're only going to be the guy that's going to look at the scoreboard and what that kid has done for you today, I don't want my kid playing for you. And I think there's a lot of that out there right now. It's Jimmy alluded to the fact the summer ball piece and it, yeah, it's getting a little watered down. Yeah. We want to see more. I want to see that energy, man. I want to see that excitement because once again, you're going to take a step to your right soon enough and nobody really cares what you did in the past. So let's look forward to the now and let's look forward to the future and let's continue to build and grow as best we possibly can. And yes, I do believe that one of us, we're going to college world series. Mm-hmm. I'm going to damn college world series. I, I'm not a baseball coach here and I, you know, I'm just looking for this future success of these young men. Yes, that's it. But at the end of the day, too, I, I want to win. I want to win. And I know we can. And when I first took over the program eight or nine years ago, it was like, oh, man, good luck. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, mean, I get half-million-dollar full-ride scholarships, opportunity lifetime for these guys to be great for the rest of their lives. We're going to be. And they're going to be. Because that's part of our mission is to win. And that's kind of the coolest part about – what we as a whole get to do with Army, Navy, and Air Force is the fact that we're going to take our programs to this higher level and where people are going to go, holy crap, how'd they do that? Mm-hmm. And we can. And that's kind of the fun and exciting part. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just want great young men. I want to build great men. because that, That's the most important piece at the end of the day. So I appreciate you having me, Sheets. Guys, again, on behalf of the ABCA, on behalf of our membership, our our thousands of coaches around the world, thanks for carving out some time for us. Thanks for jumping on. Certainly, the challenges are unique to what you guys are doing inside your programs and to your servicemen. Uh, We thank them uh, moreover than we can ever uh, say in words. So, again, on September 11th, 2018, we're reflecting on this, guys. Thanks for jumping on the call with us. We had Mike Kozlowski, head coach of the Air Force Academy. Paul Kostakopoulos, head coach of the Naval Academy, and Jim Foster, head coach of Army West Point. Gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for jumping on, and thanks for being part of the ABCA. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks so much for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and connecting with these great coaches. If you're interested in more of these shows, check us out on iTunes, hit subscribe and dive right in, or head over to abca.org slash podcast and scroll through all of our episodes. A huge thanks again to the great folks over at AstroTurf for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking at doing any upgrades at your facility, head over to astroturf.com. That's astroturf.com and see why they've been ahead of the curve for almost 50 years. Now, here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, we're here to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help. Head over to our website, abca.org, for more information. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at ABCA1945. You can find us on Facebook as well. 
and feel free to reach out to me directly at any time on Twitter at Coach Sheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members and continue to find ways to keep growing the game together. As always, coaches, thank you for listening in and staying dialed into our podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. Baseball.